This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Sound of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, I misspoke earlier. I, I um, said that this fellow, I referred to this fellow, Deobra Redden, who attacked the judge in Clark County, Nevada, as a she. It is a he. It is a he. So uh, I apologize for misgendering Mr. Redden. But these days, gender is more of something that's advisory. Isn't it? I don't talk about gender issues, uh, meaning the transgender issue, very much because, honestly, if you made the list of the top 100 things that I'm worried about, it doesn't make the top 100. The number of people, of people, even though it's a greater percentage now that are affected by this, are minimal. Minimal. And yet, we talk about it like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm surprised I'm not transgender. But we talk about it all the time. There are two aspects of society, though, where I think it is important to uh, talk about the the gender issue and what it means to actually be transgender. Those areas are competitive sports and prison. And the, the reasons behind both should be obvious, but maybe they're not. We have talked about before how men who claim to be women have been housed in women's prisons. One in New Jersey even impregnated two female inmates at the Edna Edna Mann Correctional Facility. And uh, in an interview with the New York Post, in that case, the prisoner's former foster mother said that he was a psychopath and is using transgenderism as a ploy to get near women. See, that's kind of my problem with allowing people to just say they're a different gender without offering any sort of a pr- of proof or anything like that. My problem is um, if you're a violent criminal, uh, what's going to stop you from just claiming you're a woman going to a woman's prison, and then acting like a shark at the buffet. In September, there was a female inmate at uh, Edna Mann, that same prison, that filed a lawsuit claiming that she was sexually assaulted by a biological male transgender inmate. We don't know if that was the same person. The uh, Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank, they've indicated that taxpayers are actually funding irreversible experimental uh, gender-affirming surgeries for uh, inmates who identify as transgender. I don't know if that's the kind of thing that the taxpayers should be paying for. Well, now, the magazine Redux has a fascinating profile of a gentleman named Stephen Buchanan who believes he's not a gentleman. He believes that he's a lady. Stephen Buchanan, who goes by Susan Monica, dismembered the bodies of his victims. He killed two people, two handymen on his farm, and dismembered the bodies of his victims and fed them to pigs on a 20-acre farm he owned in Oregon. He bought the farm in 1991, killed two handymen, one in 2012, one in 2013. And in 2015, he was reportedly sentenced to a minimum of 50 years behind bars. The judge said at the time, you shot two people and fed them to your pigs. I don't know how else I can put it. You valued pigs more than you value people. It may sound harsh, but you are a cold-blooded killer. He's exactly right, the judge. Well, um... This person, who is a biological male, is currently serving a 50-year sentence in a women's correctional facility in Oregon. 
Uh, Riley Gaines, who's kind of become an outspoken person on this issue because she's had to uh, compete against biological males in swimming. She said, what could possibly go wrong housing a violent, mentally ill man with female inmates? Yeah, that's exactly right. I do not think that you should be able to just claim to be a woman and be housed at a female prison. Sorry. I don't know if that makes me intolerant, but if it does, then I'm intolerant. Should not be permitted. Love to hear your view. 800-848-9222. Now, the other area that I alluded to was sports. Transgender sports. And USA Boxing is the governing body of the sport of boxing in the United States. And they have adopted a new rule which would permit males, male to female trans athletes, but biological males, to compete against women in a sport which requires competitors really to inflict as much harm as possible upon their opponent by punching them in the head and body. As one report put it, Men can now legally beat up women. But even years ago, there was a similar situation that resulted in very serious injuries to a female in another battering sport and disabling injuries to girls and women athletes caused by male competitors have occurred in many sports, even non-contact ones like volleyball. Um, Years ago, this problem was dramatically illustrated in another very dangerous confrontation in a similar sport when a male who transitioned to female at 30 years of age, well past puberty, when most size and strength development occurs, was permitted to fight as a female in women's mixed martial arts in where punches are pretty important. Uh, I don't really follow MMA, but if you're interested in a good MMA movie, uh, the one that Halle Berry directed, we had the producer on in the pro of the of that film at the time. That was uh, that was very that was pretty good. I I enjoyed that, and um, it was kind of a modern day take on Rocky. Um, it's called Bruised. It's about three years old. We talked about it at the time, but it was, it, again, not not brilliant, but it, but good. It was, you know, it's an entertaining two hours. So anyway. Um, in, in that case, you had this person who was a biological male who was permitted to fight as a female in women's mixed martial arts competition. And within the first minutes of the match, he fractured the skull of an experienced female MMA competitor and continued his brutal assault until the fight had to be stopped after lasting less than two minutes, two minutes. That was uh, Fallon Fox was the name of that transgender fighter that broke their opponent's skull. It lasted two minutes before the referee was forced to stop the carnage to prevent further damage and suffering to this, at this point, a helpless female being repeatedly punched in the face and head by a much more powerful male. So the badly battered MMA fighter explained that, quote, I have struggled with many women, and I have never felt the strength I felt in a fight like that night. I have never felt so dominated in my life, and I am an abnormally strong woman in my own right. And now we are going to try this in boxing. We've seen the same thing happen in hockey. There was another male-to-female transgender athlete that caused serious and possibly permanent injuries to a biological female opponent in a hockey tournament where a much larger and more heavily muscled player crashed into a much smaller rival. Uh, we spoke about this with Professor John Banzaff. A couple, you know, I know we covered a lot of ground last time he was on the show. We're going to have to have him back. Maybe we'll, um, we'll see what night he's up for staying up late with us next week. But he's a brilliant guy. I mean, a law professor. I think he's an engineer. Just He knows so much about so many different areas, and he's kind of difficult to pin down. He's, he's sort of independent. And he said, you know, how crazy this is. Basically, he said this creates another argument against permitting male-to-female athletes to compete against girls and women. I mean, if you want to have a separate league where just 
male to female transgenders compete with one another, great. But obviously, realistically, there's not enough of them to have a whole league. I don't know what the solution is, but this is terrible. Um, this is how one reporter described that hockey incident. The size imbalance between the two skaters was, was so great that the female team player ended up being propelled headfirst into the boards with enough force to deliver a concussion, which left her unconscious. Not surprisingly, the resulting article was titled Ignoring Biological Reality Puts Female Hockey Players at Risk and concluded that, quote, a frightening injury at an NHL-sponsored transgender tournament in Wisconsin reminds us why women's leagues should remain sex-protected spaces. Rugby. Third example of how letting men compete against women creates a massive risk. Three biological girls were seriously injured playing in a high school rugby league by a male-to-female transgender player. According to the girls' coaches, the transgender athlete's body size, body strength completely dominate any girl that I have on my team. The aggressive nature that was witnessed clearly showed that it's a definite issue that we have to deal with. I have three players that were injured in that first game against Guam High directly by that particular player. We've seen similar things happen in soccer. This is just awful. So when you have male to female athletes and they are permitted to compete against girls and women, uh, Professor Banzoff has outlined four reasons why they should not be permitted, and I think he is 100% on the money. One, g- girls are actually being punished for refusing to play against male-to-female opponents, and even for just speaking out against males on females' teams. Two is forcing girls and women to shower and change clothing with a male-to-female biological man with male genitalia on their team violates their right to sexually and bodily privacy. In many sports, even non-contact sports, there's a very real and established danger of serious and permanent, sometimes, physical injuries to girls and women from male-to-female opponents. And then lastly, in most sports and situations, male-to-female transgender athletes, they have a very significant size and strength advantage over the female competitors, which robs girls and women of opportunities to compete fairly and win to obtain things like scholarships and other advantages, as well as just, I mean, even if we're not talking scholarships, it's seriously damaging to their morale, and it could discourage their participation in sports. So in other sports where biological considerations like strength require separate um, you know, competitions, Those in the protected category are not required to run the risk of having to compete against someone with a clear biological advantage. In boxing, in judo, in wrestling, in karate, a 140-pound man is never forced to defend themselves against an opponent weighing 240 pounds. Even if the potential other person honestly believes themselves to be much lighter in weight, and even if the 140-pound athlete can, in fact, beat many much heavier opponents. Similarly, there are where there are competition categories based upon age, someone in their 20s would never be permitted to compete in categories reserved for people that are over 50, much less people who are over 70. No matter how old the challenger claims he is, if you're 70 years old, you're not going to be able to participate in a track and field event against a 22-year-old. Even if you go out there and say, hey, I'm actually 22. So, and again, even if that 55-year-old or 70-year-old is more athletic than most 22-year-olds. You know, I just, again, I don't like to talk about the transgender issue because I feel like it brings out the ugliest aspect of certain people's commentary and my attitude in general with everything is you want to be whatever you want to be go ahead and be it you want to call yourself Elliot instead of Ellen go for it you want to live your life as a woman instead of a man god bless you makes no difference to me 
These are the two areas that I think it does make a tremendous difference. The two uh, areas that are most in, in need of addressing. I don't see any excuse for putting biological males in female prisons. I, I just, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. And the same goes for all the reasons that I stated and that Banzaf stated. The same goes for competitive sports. You're welcome to disagree. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, original Rick in original Jersey. Hello. Yes, good morning, Frank. Hi. I, I, I thought I had the solution, but you might have blown me out of the water because you've been interchanging the terms men, women, male, and female, and they're not interchangeable. Men and women are, uh, I think the word is subjective, where it's variable. Now men can decide they're women and vice versa. But whatever you have cut off or sewn on does not make you change female to male. You're not a male uh a female because you had something taken off. You're basically uh, the right term is a eunuch. You so what we need to do is not change men and women sports, but male female sports. Now, when you said the boxing changed it, did they use the term male and female, or was that you using it, or is it men and women they use? Well, I, I'm not even sure I understand the question. I, I don't. I don't oh, get okay. it at all. Male, male and female is a scientific thing. You have two X chromosomes for a female and X Y for a male. That can't be changed, no matter what you call yourself, your body, like you said, your, your medications and all that are still going to react to you as if you're a male or a female. <clears throat> Men and women, that's people. a man can feel like a woman, he can feel like a girl. Those things are interchangeable. In the, in the bylaws of these sports and all that, is it? Men and women sports, or are they actually saying male and female? Okay, so sports? this is what it says according to USA Boxing. It says a boxer who transitions from male to female is uh, eligible to compete if they have declared that her gender identity is female and has completed gender reassignment surgery according to the policy. Male to female boxers must also undergo quarterly hormone testing and present USA Boxing with documentation of their hormone levels for at least four years after surgery. Well, yeah, but you see, that's not right. Scientifically, you're not a female because you have your male genitalia taken off. You're still a male without your male genitalia. And maybe someone could, like, you know, uh, challenge this on that reasoning alone. It's like, no, you're wrong. They're not female. Prove to me they're female. Well, I, you I take think, a blood test. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, think you should reach out to them, Rick. I, I look. I mean, I think this is a terrible policy. I think this is going to result in a lot of people being hurt, honestly. Honestly. And again, just uh, you know, to be fair to USA Boxing, in addition to the criteria that I just laid out, they must additionally show their testosterone level has been below 5 NMOL for at least 48 months before their first competition and the entire time they compete in the female category. So there's that. 800-848-9222. Pamela's in New Jersey. Hi, Pamela. Hey, um, when I was in high school, uh, my high school tried an experiment. They mixed the gym classes, you know, it was early on in the 70s. And uh, all right, cool, sounded interesting. I was very good at volleyball. So we had a volleyball game going on. I was at the net, and across from me was the captain of the male uh, lacrosse team. And very muscular, nice guy. And when you're at the net, you have to spike the ball and a spike is a downward movement of your fist and it's, it's a downward punch. So we both jumped up at the net and he smacked the ball and right the ball and his fist went right into my face. And at the time, you know, I just took it, you know, like Rocky, I, I probably should have gone to the hospital or something, Ooh. but I just took it. And he said, Oh, well, wow, you're a good player. I'm so sorry. And I'm just, you know, this brought this all back to me and it's like, you know, you, you can, you know, I mean, at picnics, I've competed against guys and everything and, and everything. And one who was a football player in, in uh, high school, and he, he said I was good at badminton and everything. Uh, but again, you know, that's not really getting, you know, volleyball is a, can be dangerous, uh, especially when you get hit in the face. So, you know, I agree with you. And then there's the third aspect of it. In schools, like in New Jersey, mm. they can indoctrinate your child 
and not tell the parents. Oh, well, yeah, that's, so that's I the, mean, that's preposterous. I think for anything like that involving a minor, I, I mean, I've said, uh, I, you know, I talked about the New Jersey situation a great deal. And, I mean, it's particularly egregious what New Jersey's doing because in the two townships that are doing it, the local school boards, they actually voted not to have that policy, and the state attorney general overruled what the local elected school boards actually wanted. So in that case, you actually had the people electing folks that said, no, we don't want uh, people to be able to change genders without informing the parents. And then even though that's what you would think the community's wishes should be honored, the attorney general says, no, sorry, you can't. That's, I mean, that's just beyond outrageous. Pamela, thanks for the call. 800-848-9222. Rob is in Maryland. Hello, Rob. Hello, sir. How are you? I am doing fine. Thank you. Okay. um, I was holding on for a while. So I want to go back to the beginning of the show, and I don't want to sound flippant on this, and it sounds very depressing, but you're the gentleman who was talking about uh, the extremes of living, dying too quickly at 40, and then celebrating someone going uh, into their hundreds. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah. A fella called and said basically, um, when is uh, when is when should somebody be mourned versus uh, celebrated, uh, or some such question? Yes. So obviously, I see mourning on both sides. Sure. I see mourning on the one for forty, and I see mourning on the other, because I'm looking at all the longevity in my family, and all my aunts and uncles who had very nice lives. Um, died so poorly, they got ripped off from the um, uh, not nursing home, which is the other one, assisted living. Um, if my father knew how he was being raped after all of the money that he saved and wanted to give to my sister and me, he'd be having a cow. He'd be very upset. So I don't see any, any celebration going on with somebody, with people who are going to live to be 100. Yeah, I, I get it, Rob. I just, I get what the caller meant. I, I think what the caller meant was, look, you know, if someone is um, 35 years old, they've got three small children between the ages of uh, one and five, and those children are going to have to grow up w- without a father, um, a- a- versus someone that's 95 years old and has six adult grand, uh, grandchildren and, you know, got to meet nine of their great-grandchildren and had a live in, uh, had, a, had a very fulfilling life in all that time, it's, it's, it's a different level of sadness. I, I guess that was the point that the caller was trying to make. I understand what you're saying, and I'm not taking anything away from that at all. And I've talked about things like elder abuse uh, before and abuse of guardianships, and, you know, I'm all for doing something to improve that. It's just, it is different. Uh, someone dies uh, at a very young age, and um, it's just a different ball game. You know, uh, my wife's father, for instance, he he died before I knew her. He died when she was uh, 16, and this was a father of nine. And I, I don't even think he was 50 years old when he died. And his three youngest children have almost no recollection of him. Now, that's it's so sad. And I think those th- three of them have had to deal with a lot of things that they've had to contend with that they wouldn't have if they had a father in their in their life. Now, you compare that with my grandmother, who died at the age of 95, got to know um, not only one, two, four, seven of her grandchildren, uh, several of her step-grandchildren, um, four or five, maybe even six great-grandchildren, all of which she had a great relationship with. That is a much less sad thing. I think in a lot of ways, and I think my grandmother would say this, uh, she was a very lucky woman. I think that's what the caller was talking about. You know, uh, simple as that. 800-848-9222. Tony is in Manhattan. Hi, Tony. Good morning. Yes, I was a powerlifting for a long time. And I have to compete with people with advantage over us. Wait, I wait, wait, wait. I didn't hear what you said. You had to compete against what? Other people that use steroids. It's almost the same thing. When you go compete with somebody that uses steroids, they have a big advantage over you. Well, and I was thinking about that. 
I, well, I agree with you, Tony. I mean, that's one of the big reasons I'm an advocate for steroid testing in uh, all competitive sports, even at the high school level. I, I completely agree. That's totally unfair. Let me tell you something. When I became uh, unable to work, I was born so strong, and I learned the power lifting, and I used to do 400 squats, 450 deadlift, and 250 um, bench press. That's a thousand. Oh, and I'm not going to mess with you, Tony. Believe me. No, but let me tell you something. Um, then I was so good, and then I discovered that people beat me unfairly. And when I learned, I became United States Association for the Blind Athletes, and they had restrictions over there. And I became world famous because of that restriction. And sometimes they have to do be strong like that because it's unfair for other people. Well, I totally agree, Tony. I mean, I don't think it takes. I mean, I don't think your issue in any way takes away from what I'm saying with respect to gender. I'm sorry you were treated unfairly. All I'm trying to do is to keep more people from facing that same sort of unfairness that you had to contend with, Tony. Uh, thanks for your call. Thanks for listening. And um, congratulations on being able to uh, bench press 250 pounds. That's no joke. All right. Uh, Noam Layden is here. We're going to get a look at uh, some of the headlines with him. Uh, those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The time being 35 minutes after the hour. Uh, time for... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. I've always been fascinated by people who fall into comas for years at a time <laughs> and the ones who do come out of comas. And it doesn't happen very often. So that's why this is really fascinating. Jennifer Flewellen is from Niles, Michigan. She lay in a bed in a coma for five years after getting into a car accident. She somehow, they don't know why, drove off the road into a telephone pole. The question, of course, is do you keep somebody like that around when they're in a coma mm. for so long? Well, you know, they test brain activity and they saw there was some brain activity. So last year... She's in bed, and her mother is there for a visit. She's 41 years old. Her mom comes by for a visit, as she always does, 
And she does what she always does, talks to Jennifer. No reaction, of course. But this time, she tells Jennifer a joke, and Jennifer laughs. And she thinks, oh, my God, I've Mm. never gotten any reaction out of my daughter in the five years that I've been showing up at her hospital bed. This is unbelievable. And after that laugh, Jennifer starts to slowly wake up out of her five-year coma. Isn't that amazing? And she can't speak. Uh, She can nod. They ask her questions about her ability to understand what they're talking about. And it's clear she understands the questions they are asking her. She seems confused, as you might guess somebody might be after five years of being in a coma, and asks what, uh, in, in the way that she can what has happened to her, and they describe as much as they can. And they say this is so incredibly rare that mm. doctors are not flocking, but they want more information on her as she comes out of this coma. They say maybe 1% to 3% of patients wake up after going into deep comas like this. So it is incredibly rare. She has made progress that has been fascinating to watch. Uh, Last year, uh, meaning in 2023, she was up and out of bed and able to go to her son's football game. That was a huge moment for her. Uh, Her speech is still not great. But um, when a reporter went in there just at the end of last year to have a conversation with her, her mother ended up asking, answering a lot of the questions that this reporter asked, but she was able to string a couple words together, clearly showing she understood the conversation and questions that she was being asked. I'm looking at her photo now. She clearly, she still looks very afflicted yeah. with something, almost like, um, you know, she's got um, cerebral palsy or something. Um, but that is really just remarkable. Um, one of the things I've always wondered, seriously, people think I'm joking when I bring stuff up like this, but if that's your wife, right, at what point, if any, do you, do you make the decision not to pull the plug, but let's say they say there's still some brain activity, but we don't know if she's ever going to wake up. Do you make the decision, let's say, especially her, she was only 41, do you make the decision to pursue another relationship while your betrothed is in a... Great question. I don't know in her case if she was married. Yeah, I, I neither do I. But I mean, at one point, I'm assuming she was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've known people actually. In fact, I know somebody who had a similar situation. Somebody who was very ill, and he did pursue another relationship. While and she, she was in a coma. Uh, well, she wasn't essentially in a coma, but she was very, uh-huh. very ill. And he just said, I have to go on with my life because they didn't expect her to survive so many years. Right. And what was it? Uh, six, seven hours about? Uh, it was no, something like that. Right. Yeah. Six, seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, I, and I know this is going to sound silly and maybe it is, but I am curious. Do we have any idea what the joke was that the mom told Don't her? know what the joke was. I am very curious. It might that. It must have been a great joke. Can you imagine? <laughs> that it took that long. Right. I Maybe mean, she that... was waiting for the ultimate joke. <laughs> that joke should write for the Tonight Show or something. Yeah, might mom. Have, might have been something lame like a knock-knock joke. Right. You know, you know, who knows? That's what I, I wonder. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad she's up and at him, and I hope she continues to uh, improve. And she, she, she is, so that's yeah. the good news. Dog packs are back, Frank. Do you know what I mean by a dog pack? I mean, is it a pack of dogs running yes. around? Okay. I didn't even know there was such a thing as dog packs anymore because mm-hmm. I feel like every one of them has been was domesticated during the <laughs> pandemic, right? Because everybody was desperate to find one so they could have one at home. Um, but they are back in a big way. And we're hearing from wildlife officials all over the country, especially in California in this uh, one community in Riverside, where they're dealing with these large sets of dog packs that are attacking all kinds of animals, uh, slaughtering herds of goats, uh, sheep. Uh, there's this one bloodbath that was documented on Facebook just a couple weeks ago. Uh, a woman was actually killed mm. by a pack of canines. That's a couple years ago. But they say there's more of these dogs that are out. And when you see them, they look like the dog you might have in your house. I mean, it doesn't look a whole lot different. According to reports from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, the Wildlife Services, domestic dogs are the second most lethal predator of livestock right now in the country. Coyotes, by the way, are number one. In the case of sheep, coyotes and dogs account for more than 70% of predator losses and dogs kills that are on the rise. They don't really know what to do to stop this. Some of this is that People just let their dogs go. I mean, this right. happens all the time. They right. can't take care of them. They let them out. 
then sometimes these dogs are able to join other packs of dogs and that pack mentality begins and they make these kills. Um, in San Diego, this um, one border town, they now have a crew that that's a big part of their job is searching for these packs of dogs before they go on the attack. They're very hard to trap. Um, when they do trap them, uh, sometimes they put them down. Uh, other times they figure out what to do with them. But they say it's a huge problem that has gotten bigger over the last couple of years. Oh, I mean, it's beca- it's gotten bigger because of the abandonments during the pandemic, they think? Uh, or was it other some of the, A small part of it is tied to that. Uh, other parts is that these dogs have found each other Oof. in these rural, wow. rural areas. That is fascinating. Yeah. You don't ever hear about cat packs. No. They're not menacing. What do they call them? They'll call them... Colonies. Yeah, colonies. My my wife goes to a cat colony and feeds them all. It sounds happy, a colony. (laughs) You know, you don't call them a pack. (laughs) Pack sounds kind of mean. Exactly. By the way, um, a lot of people don't don't realize, but when Ed Koch was mayor, he actually had the idea... uh, This is actually true. He had the idea to have wolves go after graffiti artists in uh, in the subway. So um, he had the idea to send in wolves to stop the graffiti artists. Real wolves, right? So um, if anybody ever wonders what became of those wolves that Ed Koch wanted to send into the subway, um, there's an interesting website that traces what's become of them. You can go to edkochwolffoundation.com. That's edkochwolffoundation.com. And you will hear a PSA narrated by someone that's very familiar to this audience. Oh, interesting. So, okay, yeah. I'm going to have to go check yeah, that out. Yeah, check it out. Uh, one more for you? Please. You're Monopoly player? Well, I like, you know, the city on which it's based. Uh, it's been a while since I've played the actual game, though. Everybody, every couple years I see this, there's a crew of people who will come out with the ultimate way to win Monopoly, the ultimate strategy. You know, they have this national competition every year where they crown the champion of Monopoly. Sure. So it's still a huge game. Oh, yeah. And um, I think. You probably already know that um, you shouldn't even bother with Boardwalk and Park Place. That's mm-hmm. just a complete waste of time. People don't land on it. It's expensive. So skip those prized properties uh, because they've been known to bankrupt people in games. And um, this is what you want. You want all the oranges. The oranges is the way to go. So we're talking about uh, St. James Place, New York, and Tennessee Avenues. If you get those... Some great bars in real life on all three of those streets, by the way. That is true. Yeah. It's exactly the place you want to go because of its proximity to jail. Because people end off end up in jail so often that your chances of somebody landing on your property after getting out of jail or just visiting jail is uh, very high. And um, the latest champion, okay. Nico Falcone, who is the uh, reigning Monopoly world champion, who knew there was such a thing, he says that, uh, yes, this is the way to go. So next time you sit down to play Monopoly, do what you can to eat up those oranges. They're, they're about mid-level in terms of how expensive the okay. properties are. But the dollar amount you bring in when you put up hotels and houses is huge. It's about $1,000 every time someone lands on it. And what happens is uh, when people get out of jail, they'll usually throw a six, seven, or eight, and that will put you, uh, the six and the eight will put you on the orange properties. Huh. The 77 will put you on community chest. But um, they say uh, more often than not, when people get out of jail, they will land on those orange properties. Go with the orange properties if you want to win Monopoly. You know, I, I think um, that the the creators of Monopoly, and I'm not an expert on this, but I'm I'm hoping maybe we can do a segment on this soon. The, I think they initially created it to be a critique of capitalism and and that whole thing. Right. But it gradually, as people played it, it became more of a celebration of capitalism. So. When I was in college, and Sean Hannity, actually, he had the same professor. We, we had a Marxist professor at NYU. We both went there. And um, he created a communist version oh, of Monopoly called Class Struggle. Wow. And it became uh, wildly successful for about four or five, uh, five years. It was really, really interesting. And then it was... Um, released by a major board game company a little bit later, and then people didn't want to promote a you know, popular communist-themed game. But that is really interesting, the orange property. So that's if right. people got nothing else from this show today, that's where they There got. you go. That I might be it. the only thing they get. All right, thank you. 
And now you know the rest of the story. By the way, if uh, those of you are curious and you don't have the internet, what you will hear at the Ed Koch Wolf Foundation, uh, you know, you really should check out the website because there's some great visuals. But here's a little bit of the audio you will hear if you visit edkochwolffoundation.com. If there's a place in your heart for a tourist who's gone missing or an animal who's lost his job due to a machine, then keep listening. In the late 1970s, Mayor Ed Koch had a plan to release wild wolves into train yards in an effort to stop graffiti artists from tagging the subway cars. Put in wolves. Unfortunately, the plan didn't work. Frightened the public. Since then, wolf packs have survived and even thrived in New York's labyrinth of tunnels emerging in local parks only on occasion to hunt in the moonlight for live prey. In fact, the NYPD chalks up the majority of missing tourist reports each year to the city's subterranean canine inhabitants. When I was a young cop, back in the day, some of the guys jokingly would say, you better carry some silver bullets if you're in this neighborhood. Today, the Ed Koch Wolf Foundation, in partnership with the New York City Fellowship, is erecting monuments in city parks to serve as cautionary reminders to out-of-state visitors. So get involved. To make a small donation or to volunteer, visit www.edkochwolffoundation.com. There you have it. There you have it. Doing, I was not paid anything to do that. It was just my little bit of uh, public service to give a little something back. Happy to do that. Now... Uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in um, in just a bit. Eric, though, in New Jersey has been holding. Hi, Eric. Hey, bud. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing uh, just peachy. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, so this issue of the transgenders and sports is going to be something that's going to continue on until women actually stand together and say, we're not going to let this happen anymore. It's totally unfair. It's You're just obviously biologically different. It'd be like me saying, well, I want to identify as a woman and I want to have a baby. It's not going to happen. Right. And at some point, somebody's going to get beaten so bad that it's going to kill them. And then is it going to be too late to change then? I mean, when you look at sports, guys playing football, now they're talking about they don't want kids to play contact football anymore because of the uh, uh, damage when they play, the head injuries. I mean, at what point do we stop? The numbers are going to be what the numbers are as far as that goes. You're always going to be able to have somebody sit there and say, well, we could do this because um, it's fair. But when it gets to the science and they don't want to know anymore, again, like you said, if you want to just be what you want to be, go ahead. But you're going to start hurting people now because of this, because everybody wants to jump on a bandwagon. Nobody wants to be called sexist or whatever. It's just... It's idiotic, and it's not going to stop, like I said, until somebody, unfortunately, loses their life. And yeah. maybe, even at that, maybe. Yeah, Eric, uh, well said, and unfortunately, I think you're right. Eric, thank you for the call. All right, uh, we'll do 15 seconds of fame momentarily. Hopefully you have something fun planned this weekend. I'm looking forward to, uh, we have a children's birthday, we have uh, Carmine's haircut tomorrow which is going to be interesting. Then uh, hopefully we'll get to watch some football in the evening. Tonight, I am wondering, because they got the Golden Globes on Sunday, and the only two movies that I've seen the entire year that are nominated for anything are Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I'd love it if tonight uh, my wife and I can actually find 90 minutes to two hours to watch a film after uh, Carmine goes to bed. We'll see. And then uh, tomorrow we have a children's birthday party and... Hopefully some football. And then uh, Sunday, it's uh, we're having a birthday party for my sister. Tomorrow's her actual birthday, but she won't celebrate it on January 6th out of respect for uh, everybody that got arrested that day. And so she's celebrating it on Sunday. So we have a children's birthday party tomorrow and a haircut. Hopefully the after party will feature some football. Uh, and then Claudia's birthday party on Sunday. And then um, I'd love to try and see a few minutes of the Golden Globes. I, I know no one really ever cared about the Golden Globes, but uh, I always liked them. And I, I love award shows, even if I haven't seen any of the films, which is the case this year. So 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. With our theme song there. Uh, I also, yesterday I didn't get a chance to mention the birthday of uh, my friend Todd Shapiro. Todd Shapiro is a good friend and regular listener to this program. And uh, he invited me to his uh, birthday party last night. But uh, unfortunately, I got uh, tied up, wasn't able to make it there. I hope he had fun. I hope everybody that went had fun. And uh, being Todd's friend is an incredible adventure because you just never know what is going to happen next. You never know who's going to show up. You know, I've been out with Todd and um, Mandela's grandson will show up. Then you'll be out with Todd and Eric Adams will show up. You just never know who who you're going to see when you're with Todd Shapiro. He's a wonderful guy and uh, incredibly kind and a lot of fun. And uh, happy birthday, Todd Shapiro. All right. Uh, if it's your birthday, have a happy birthday as well. If it's your birthday tomorrow, you're celebrating with my sister, Claudia. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to uh, jump on board for 15 seconds at uh, 800-848-9222 as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike. Morning, Frank. I was glad to see your name was not up. Uh, not present on any uh, recently released lists. But if your compulsion for mugs persists, you'll end up on someone's list somewhere at some time. Neil. Why does the Mayor Adams also sue Amtrak for bringing the legals here? Is it because Governor Murphy's a Democrat and he doesn't have the guts to do it? Timothy. Nicodemus wanted to know. So he asked God, do you want to know? John 3, 1. Read the Bible, know the truth. Tony. Gail. I just want to say God bless Robert Mondave. Robert Dave, I'm sorry, and his father for giving him the book, None Dare Call It Treason. It should be required reading for every ninth grader. And I'll, I am a fan of Robert Mondave's wine, so I will... I will echo and agree with that aspect of your sentiment as well. God bless Robert Mondavi. Brandon. Yeah, Frank, I identify as a talk radio personality. You think I could get a job down there at the station? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Ava. Hey, parents, pay attention. You have young girls going into sports. When you vote in November, vote for Trump because this trans stuff will all end. Rusty. Yeah, the biggest problem today is not uh, Baby Carmine's uh, haircuts or these BLTs and everything else like that. It's legal immigration. Nine billion people want to come in this country and ruin it. Jimmy. This is a moron. This is a moron. Maria. I'll be giving blood tomorrow, the gift of life in Flanders. Happy birthday to you, sister, and have a good day. Jeff. 
Frank, please educate me. It's, it's the New York City Council is the reason why we're always going to have the progressive anti-cop stuff and not the mayor, right? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's a variety of factors, not the least of which is the DA and the state legislature. Rocco. Yes, Frank, let me ask you. If you on the USS Enterprise, what position would you like to hold? Captain, mate, first shipment, which position? Uh, that's Frank? a good question, uh, Rocco. Um, and it, we'll, we'll end it on that note. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I guess it depends which version of the Enterprise we're talking about, right? Are we talking about the Enterprise, the original, um, with um, Captain Pike or and Captain Kirk? Are we talking about the Enterprise B, John Harriman, an Excelsior-class vehicle? Are we talking about the Enterprise C, captained by Rachel Garrett? Are we talking about the Enterprise D and E, uh, captained by uh, Jean-Luc Picard? Because the answer is different in uh, in each case. Look, I'm not really qualified to do anything on a starship. So I would want the uh, job where I could do the least damage. I'll tell you what I'd probably want. I'd probably, if we're talking the Enterprise D, uh, which is the, if you're not a Star Trek fan, that's from Next Generation, I would probably want Guinan's job. I'd probably want to be the bartender on 10 Forward because I could do that. I feel like I could do it. I can be a very good, I'm, I'm chock full of wisdom when people come to me with their problems. I know about booze. I could uh, pour people a stiff drink and I can uh, listen to whatever their problems are. So that would probably, bartender would be my, um, would be my chosen enterprise profession. That'd be fun. All right. Hey, what a week this has been. Uh, we're going to have a lot going on with respect to the Jeffrey Epstein case on Monday. Also, some other fun things that I'm working on as well. Uh, hopefully, the weather cooperates for all of you and you get to have some fun in the snow. Frank Morano, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.